And we want to help people find and follow Jesus. We want people to come to know Jesus as their Savior, to give their life to Him, but then to live their life from Him. And, and, and disciple, we disciple believers that they will go and do the same. So that being said, we're going to continue in our series through the New Testament book of Acts. And we've been calling this series uh, the action of the church because that's what the book of Acts is about. It's what the first century church was doing. And so if you have your Bibles, open it to Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 30 this morning. And I'm calling this sermon, Keeping in Step with God. As you're getting your, your Bibles there to Acts chapter 11, let me ask you a question. Has anybody remember that old game that Simon Says? Okay, about 10 of you. The rest of you, let me go ahead and remind you what Simon says, how the game was played. So how it goes is the one person from the group is, is designated as Simon, and they stand in the front of the room, and then everybody else has to obey Simon's command. And Simon would say something like, okay, Simon says everybody hop on their right leg, and everybody must then begin to hop on their right leg. Well, in all of my years of playing Simon Says, I cannot think of one time that I ever won. At the end of the game, when it's all said and done, I don't think I was ever the last man standing. And here's the reason why. Because I would be watching everybody else, and if Simon said, Simon says, hop in your right leg, I'm trying to beat the other person to do it first, so I'd start hopping on my left leg, and I'm out. Or maybe the other thing is Simon would say, well, hop on your left leg, and I would start right away hopping on my left leg, but then I didn't realize that Simon did not say, Simon says, and thus again, I'm out. Well, I always lost because I was not reacting to what Simon was saying. I was not able to keep in step with Simon, and thus I always seemed to lose. In our passage that we're going to look at today, much like Simon says, we're going to see an example of God acting and the church reacting. And we're really going to have two major lessons today. Lesson number one is how God works. And then lesson number two is going to be how we, re we are to respond as believers when we see God acting. Um, but before we get into this lesson, let's really recap and, and put the text we're going to look at today in context. In Acts chapter 10, if you're with us there, Peter, he received this really strange vision. If you remember it, he went up on this housetop. It was about lunchtime. He began to pray and he was hungry and he, he fell into a trance. And he's looking out at the sea, and there was ships sailing, and it was something like a, a sail, if you would, was let down from heaven. And there was all sorts of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds on it. And eventually, Peter learns that the vision means so much more than food and animals. The vision means so much more than, hey, can we have a bacon sandwich? That wasn't the main point of the vision. God was showing Peter that there's no people that's unclean in the eyes of God. That the gospel is for everybody. That it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, then the gospel is for you. It doesn't matter if you're male or if you're female, if you're rich or poor, if you're black or white or any other ethnicity, the gospel is for you. And Peter preaches the gospel. And if you remember, he preached to a Roman centurion, a man by the name of Cornelius, and he and his entire household, they got saved. Then somewhere between Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, you know, the, the white margin on your Bible, something happened where Peter must have gone back to Jerusalem, and he's called to give an account. He's, they want to know, well, what happened in this, in this Gentile territory of Caesarea? With that, let's read Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers... 
who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's the Jewish believers, criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Let's stop right there. See, it's part of a Jewish tradition to not even be under the same roof as a Gentile. If you can think back in the, in the Gospels, there was a time after uh, Jesus' arrest and, and they had the sham trial and then eventually they take him to the house of, of Pilate. In the Gospel of John, it says this. It says, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled, but they could eat the Passover. So here we see an example of how the, the Jewish people wouldn't even go into a house of a Gentile. It's also an example of how these men were so caught up in their religiosity that they thought somehow this is what God wanted. But now we fast forward all the way to Acts chapter 11 and we see that they're still at it. But only this time it's kind of worse in a sense because these are Christian believers that are acting like this. You know, back in, in the gospel, it was, it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees acting like this, but now this is the believers doing the same thing. And so they called Peter, and they want an explanation. Tell us why you did what you did. And Peter really gives it a defense. And so then from Acts chapter 11, verse 4, all the way through 17, it's a recap. It's a video replay of what happened in Acts chapter 10. So in case you missed it, if you weren't here, let's go ahead and read what happened in Acts chapter 11 about Acts chapter 10. It says, but Peter began and explained to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles of the air, and I heard it, a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord. Peter kind of throwing himself under the bus on this one. By no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at this very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were. And sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and, your, and all your household. And as I began speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us in the beginning. And I remembered how the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So if you're with us last week, that should all sound very familiar to you. This is a recap of what happened in Acts chapter 10. And Peter tells his questioners, this is what happened. He gave, he gave an explanation of what happened and why he did what he did. And look what they do in verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorify God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So in this moment, these guys, they really didn't know what to say. And I'll say this kind of stuff happens all the time. 
when you're taught something your whole life, there's these people that come and they, they, they teach you something and they say it's from the Bible, they claim it's from the Bible, but then you find out that they're wrong. And so what happens is you're so dumbfounded because God never said anything like that. What should you do? I'll tell you what you should do. You should change your mind. You should change your mind. You should repent and then change your behavior to more closely match what God has said in His Word. Fortunately, that's exactly what these believers do in Acts chapter 11. But unfortunately for us today, that's not always what happens with believers. All the time there are churches that, that, that teach about these traditions. And these are traditions that have brought up in, in different churches. But they're often about things that God has never said in His Word. And even though these traditions are something that God never says, often churches treat these traditions as on the same level as the Gospels. And I could come up with all sorts of examples. We could spend all day going through these things. But let me just sum it up in one word. It's called legalism. It's do this, don't do that. This other thing, you better hope you never, ever, ever do that. When really, it's something that God never said. You know what we should do in this situation? Don't speak for God. Don't speak for God. Just remain silent about the things that God never said. That's what we should do. Well, at this time, in Acts chapter 11, they got it right. And we're going to see, in Acts chapter 11, regular ordinary believers taking the gospel to unbelievers in Antioch. Look in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was, on, was with them. And great numbers who believed turned to the Lord. Here's my first point for us this morning. Point number one, God will build his church. And often it happens in ways that doesn't make sense to us. What we have here in Acts chapter 11 is really the most significant movement in the entire human history. So really think about it. How did this happen? How did God bring about this, this expansion to where now here we are today, all the way in Wyoming, and we're still hearing this message? What was the brilliant strategy that was used to develop the church? And if we're being honest, the answer is very different than what we might expect. Because think about it, early in the book of Acts, Christianity was a highly localized phenomenon. It, it was pretty much only in Jerusalem. Okay? But then we find in the last couple chapters, we've seen this explosion, this process of expansion of Christianity. It's finally come to fruition that, that Jesus was predicting. And believers are being scattered. And what triggered that movement? It was persecution. Now, I said this a few weeks ago. I think it, it bears repeating again. But it'd be a big mistake to say that persecution is always good. Because it's not. Persecution of another human being, when one human preys upon another, it's always been a mark of the fall. Persecution, at its lowest common denominator, it's really hatred towards God. Because all men and women are made in the image of God. All human beings are God's image bearers. So when there's one people group that preys upon another people group, what they're really doing is they're lashing out at God. But then God in His sovereignty, He even takes something like persecution and He uses it to advance the gospel. 
So notice there's a scattering of believers from Jerusalem and led many to share the gospel in Phoenicia and Cyprus and Cyrene. And the consequences of that is that there are Jews and Greeks that are both hearing the gospel. And it says the Lord's hand was with them and great numbers of people turned to the Lord. So it was the Lord's work. God's the one that made it happen. The persecution, though, think about this. The persecution that we read about in verse 19, it had to have looked like the devil's work. If you were a believer during that time and you were on the receiving end of the persecution, you would probably think, well, the devil must be winning. And God must be losing if if this persecution is happening to us. But that certainly wasn't the case. The persecution that the believers were experiencing was all part of God's wider plan. And I want to say God works like that all the time. That's not how we would work, but that is often how God works. From our perspective, the way God works, it almost seems like a very messy way. I don't know if you've experienced this in your own life. I have in mine, but all of a sudden you maybe feel a sharp pain in your side and you've got to change direction and go in a new direction that you weren't planning on going. So maybe you have some agonizing disappointment. It causes you to turn and go into a new direction that you would never chose on your own. But that is God working in His own perfect way, taking painful things in our lives that causes you to bring about His will. And normally it happens in ways that you would have never chosen for yourself. But that's how God works in our lives. So the next time you're driving down the road and your car breaks down, Don't be so quick to chalk it up as a mere inconvenience because the person who stops on the side of the road to help you may be the person that God wants you to share his gospel message with. Or maybe the next time you're in a hospital, maybe it's the doctor or nurse, maybe it's the, the patient laying in the bed next to you, maybe that's the person that God wants to use you to share his gospel message to so that they can get saved. Or maybe you're stuck in a long line somewhere. Maybe it's the person in front of you or maybe it's the person behind you and God wants to use you to share the great news of Jesus Christ and what He's done, and so then that person can be with Him for all eternity. We should be not so quick to chalk up our inconveniences as mere inconveniences. Maybe they're a divine opportunity for you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to say, God does stuff like this all the time. Read in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. This is God speaking. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Because God works in ways that we would not choose. God is not obligated to work in ways that you approve of. Okay? Here's the deal. You look at a situation that that is clearly from God. Here is something that no one has ever said in the history of time. Yep, that's the way I would have done it. Nobody ever says that because God does things that we would never ever even think of. God's ways are so different than our ways. And I want to add on, His ways are always so much better than our ways. We need to recognize this. God is God. And it's not our job to question who He is and how He works. Our job, get in step with what God is doing. We need to try to live our lives as best as we can in our abilities to line up with what God is doing. Look in verse 19 again. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. 
But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and great numbers who believed turned to the Lord. So here's my second point for us this morning. Point number two. As God builds His church, we must try to fall in line with Him. Now, if you know me, my wife is going to agree with this, I'm a bit of a movie buff. I love my movies. And if I was to list my top ten favorite movies, I'm going to top, maybe even top five. In that list, save it, Saving Private Ryan. Love that movie. Great movie. Well, if you know the movie, one of the main characters is named Captain Miller. And he's played by Tom Hanks. And he's assigned to this group of men. And they are charged to go somewhere into Western Europe and to find some private named Private Ryan. And, and they are charged to find him and bring him home. And so eventually they're out there scouring Western Europe and they're traveling. They come along a machine gun nest. And so they make a decision. They're going to take out that machine gun nest. And they eventually they're successful. But in doing so, one of the men in their platoon is, dies. And so the men of the platoon, they, they capture this German soldier and they want to murder him in revenge for their fallen friend. But Captain Miller commands these men that they must let the captured German go. And one disgruntled soldier, he, he rebels in frustration. He says, I'm through. I'm done with this mission. You can have it. I'm, I'm leaving. And Captain Miller eventually tells the private, you can leave. He says, but I'm going to continue on with this mission. I'm going to find Private Ryan and the, his reasoning so he can go home to be with his wife. And one by one, the men fall in line. They continue their mission and they follow their captain. Again, our job is not to question our captain's decision. It's not even our job to try to make sense of what our captain is doing. Our job is not to come up with a better plan or try to tack on to what our captain is doing. Our job is to obey. It's our job to notice where God has us and what God is doing and try to fall in line in His plan. Fortunately, for us, these believers in Acts chapter 11, they fall in line with God's various ways. And I'm going I'm to go through a, a couple of ways that we can engage and, and try to fall in line with, with God's plan. Here's the first way. We fall in line with God when we engage in evangelism. That is the first way that the believers get on God's plan is when we actively engage in evangelism. Because here we read that the persecution hits and the, and the believers, they scatter. And some of these believers are scattered and they only begin to share the gospel with their fellow Jews. Really, they do this because they're stuck in their old prejudiced ways, but there's some Christians. It says they're from Cyprus and Cyrene. They went to Antioch. Now, Antioch is the capital of the Roman province in Syria, and they begin to speak to the Greeks there. They start telling these people all the great things that Jesus Christ has done. Now, please notice... The Bible is very careful to, to tell us that it was the hand of the Lord in verse 21 that, that caused the growth of the church. But that does not negate the fact that it was the personal witness of believers that God used to, to share the gospel message. God could have acted in any number of supernatural ways. He could have written a gospel message in the clouds and He could have made it to where every single person could, could understand it. But that's not how God chose to work. God sovereignly chooses to use the testimony of Christians to cause new believers. God uses your testimony to tell somebody who doesn't know about Jesus all about Jesus so people can get saved. 
And so a real missionary vision cannot be generated from a church that is introverted. If a church is really to grow and, and, and really cause the kingdom of God to explode, then we must be a people that are not focused on people that are in our church. We must focus on people who are outside the church. We must focus our attention on people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We here at Crosspoint Baptist Church must be a church that is passionately committed to evangelism. And, and when I read this, what the, what the persecuted church was doing, and they're going out and they're, they're sharing the gospel, this is not something that they're doing. This is part of who they are. It's part of their very lifestyle. Because in Acts chapter 11, the, the believers are spontaneously, openly sharing their faith with people who don't know him. So the question for every single one of us as we sit here is, will we use opportunities that God brings into our life to share the gospel? Maybe you could call for jury duty. Will the other people on the jury, are they sure to hear about Jesus Christ through your mouth? And if you're a student... Maybe you're a student who's a believer. Are you going to share the gospel with other students in your school? Will we talk about Jesus when there's clearly an opening that's given us to the, from the Lord? Because the early believers here in Acts chapter 11, they saw how God was moving. And they chose to fall in line and get on His plan. Look in verse 22. It says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and his faith. And great many people were added to the Lord. So this is what's happening, almost exactly like we hear in Acts chapter 8, verse 14, that there is the Samaritans, they accepted the word of God. If you know the, the story, ooh, those dreaded Samaritans, they heard the word and they believed. And then you hear about Peter, how he takes the gospel to this Gentile centurion, and he and his entire household believe. So here we hear that these Gentiles in Antioch, they heard the gospel and they received it. And it wasn't their doing. I mean, think about it. The apostles didn't tell believers, hey, you guys go to Antioch and, and start this, this campaign and share the gospel. No, it was God that pushed them. And God used persecution to, to, to bring this, this awakening about God is the one that forced him, okay? The best thing they could do as they left is they're trying to steep, keep in step with God's plan. Which brings me to the second way we can keep in step with God. The second way we can fall in line with God is when we send out missionaries. The second way that the church falls in line with God is when we send out missionaries, because here the church sends out Barnabas. Let me tell you, I hope and pray that Crosspoint Baptist Church can be known as a church that sends out missionaries. We're already a church that supports missionaries, right? But I want to be a church that sends out missionaries. That, that There'll be some little boy or little girl that gets saved in our church and we'll train them up and we will be the one to send them out from a place like this so they can engage in God's mission. So, so I hope and pray that we can be sensitive to the Lord's leading. That when circumstances arise and a window opens, that we can jump on board and be a part of what God is doing. I hope that we have missionaries just like Barnabas that are in our church right now, just waiting to be sent out. But check it out, when Barnabas arrives, according to verse 23, did you notice he sees evidence that the grace of God was, was on these people? 
He sees that there are Gentile men and women. I mean, this is a huge deal. As, as, as we're kind of, we're a Gentile church, we kind of gloss over this. No, this is a huge deal. But they, had, they placed faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to check this out. Notice this, that there's no indication that these Gentile believers now start observing all the customs of Judaism. There, there's, there's no indication that, they, that, that, that even that Barnabas was bothered that these Gentiles, they're not getting circumcised. That's not what Barnabas does. Look at what Barnabas does do. Look in verse 23. It says, when he, that's Barnabas, when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them, all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. What did Barnabas do when he saw these Gentiles getting saved? He encouraged them. In fact, that's what his name means. His real name is Joseph. Barnabas is his nickname. His nickname means the son of encouragement. But the lesson is clear for us. We need to strive to be more like Barnabas. Sometimes, though, if we're being honest, the church cannot so much look like Barnabas. We look more like Caiaphas, the high priest. So, so quick to, to put the hard hammer of, of, of judgment down on somebody. Sometimes a church can have very inflexible and rigid mind because sometimes we are people that get so stuck in our traditions. What happens is discouragement takes the place of encouragement. Sometimes... There's people that don't enjoy new worship styles, new worship experience. Sometimes we can be people that are so critical of them. Sometimes we only have negative things to say. But we need to be a people that acts like Barnabas, that encourages new believers. We need to, we need to be encouraging when there's a new person that comes to faith that they would continue to grow in their faith. If we could only be more like Barnabas. Let's look at verse 25 of Acts chapter 11. The word of God said, So Barnabas went to Tarsus and looked for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many of people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So here's the third way we fall in line with God. Number three, we fall in line with God when we engage in discipleship. Did you check this out, that, that Barnabas, he's encouraging these new believers, and he seeks out some talent. He wants to have somebody come alongside him to invest in these new believers. Because Barnabas, he's encouraging these guys to, to stay true to the Lord with all their hearts. He's trying to, to, to disciple new believers to grow in their faith. And let me say, it's not always easy. That's hard, and it's hard because life is hard. Because as believers... We're so prone to wander. We're so prone to, to leave the God we love, like the hymnal writer writes. We have to often take Barnabas' encouragement for ourselves. That we as believers have to be true to the Lord with all of our hearts. And one way I'd say that we can do that is when we begin to teach others the Bible. Let me tell you, if you really want to learn the Bible, teach the Bible. Because you will never learn the Bible until you begin to teach the Bible. And from my own personal experience, I never learned so much about God as when I began to dive into His Word and try to teach other people God's Word. Because what I'm going to do, I'm not going to show up and have nothing to say. I'm going to read this thing and, and, and study and prepare. And then when I open my mouth, hopefully God will say something worth, worth, worth listening to. So if you want to learn the Bible, teach the Bible. But here in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas enlists Saul. Saul of Tarsus to help him teach others. And for an entire year, 
Barnabas and Saul, they're, they're, they're meeting with the church and they're teaching others. So initially, we find that Barnabas, he seeks out Saul. Pause for a minute and let's hit rewind on the book of Acts. If we back up in the book of Acts and go all the way to chapter 9, we, we would read Saul's conversion story. Well then, Barnabas met with Saul and Saul told him how what happened on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and ch- to the kings and children of Israel. So what happens here is Barnabas takes God at his word. He takes what God said about Saul. And what does Barnabas do? He gets on God's plan. Barnabas sees that there's all these Gentiles coming to faith and he knows they need to be the disciple. And what does he do? He thinks of a man like Saul. He remembers what God said about Saul. And he, he, and he says, I need to get Saul in on this. Because he remembers that Saul is God's chosen instruments to the Gentiles. So what happens is, again, Barnabas is keeping in step with God. Barnabas falls in line with God. Even though Barnabas was a man that had a very warm pastoral heart. He, he loved people. He knew that these new believers needed so much more than that. They needed instruction in what the Lord says. Because remember, these Gentile believers, they have no understanding of the Old Testament. They didn't know names like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They'd never heard those names before. They never heard of Rahab and, and Ruth. They didn't have the Christian vocabulary. And so what Barnabas needed, he needed a man with a very sound theological mind. Someone that knew the difference between what the culture says and what God has said is in His Word. Someone that could help these people understand when a, when a, when a heretical threat would come in to destroy the church. He, he needed somebody like Saul that knew exactly what God's pure doctrine said. Saul is the perfect man for the job. And if you think about it, Saul is really a man of two worlds. Because in one world, he's steeped in this Old Testament knowledge. But in another world, he's a Roman citizen. He understands Greek. He understands the culture. But at the same time, he can speak Hebrew. And so if anyone is going to whip these new Gentile believers into shape, it was clearly Saul of Tarsus. But the point here is that Saul and Barnabas personally invest in other people for a year. That Paul, excuse me, Saul and Barnabas are engaged in discipleship. So here's a question for you. Are you investing in other people? Are you taking the time that God has blessed you with here on this earth and investing in other people? Are you serving in some capacity here at Cross Point Baptist Church? Are you teaching? Are you ta- helping out in children's ministry? Are you investing in the future, which is our children? Are you taking advantage of the opportunity that God has for you here in this church? Because after all, that's the very reason you're here after you got saved. Wouldn't it be great as, oh, you got saved, and all of a sudden, boom, you're off to heaven. You're done. Hey, what happened to Bob? Oh, he got saved. Oh, good for Bob. But yet he leaves us here for a reason. The reason is so we'll invest in others. And God sovereignly chooses to work through the church to do that. You know, all the time I hear Christians say, I can be just as good a Christian at home as I can in church. Yet I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. So we have to be willing to not only to be taken in, but also be willing to give out. And so often that means with our time and our talent and our energy. Also notice, this is, it was in Antioch where the term Christian came about. 
the people began to call believers Christians because they were people that wouldn't shut up about Jesus. There was a man, he was a, a, a leader at the Church of Scotland in the 1800s. His name was Thomas Chalmers. One day they were at church and there was a man not from the congregation. He was visiting and he heard Chalmers preach and he went to the member of the, one of the members of the church and says, Hey, what do you think about Chalmers? The man in the congregation says, Well, he made, made me think about Jesus so much I have no time to think of him. When people think of us, do we make them think of Jesus? When people think of us, do they know for absolutely certain that we are Christians? That, that they know if we have a conversation with that person, at some point in that, in that day, then the name of Jesus is going to be brought up. Because everybody should, right? If we're living our Christian life to the fullest, then everybody should know who we are, and more importantly, who it is that we follow. Look in verse 27. It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the day of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability would send relief to brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. I think I need to clear this up because this can be a passage that brings a little difficulty to minds if it's not clearly explained. You see, all Christians who declare the word of God, the Bible, are prophesying in a sense. I'm prophesying to you right now. What I'm doing, I'm telling you what God has already said. But I'm not giving you new revelation. In fact, I will never give you new revelation. Anytime a preacher stands up and says, hey, I got new revelation for you. This is what you should do. Don't walk away. Run away. Okay? What, what prophesying is, it's simply telling you what the Bible says. But what we have here in the early church, there's these prophets, one of which is named Agabus, and he is especially gifted with the gift of predictions. And I want to say this would be a very rare gift in the, in the church today. Most, most of the so-called prophets you hear about are on TV or the radio, they're fakes. Okay, Be very careful of anybody that has new revelation. But what I find very interesting, if we were to turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says the gift of prophecy is for encouragement, is for comforting the believers. But this is a pretty gloomy prophecy, isn't it? It absolutely is. Because there's a severe famine that's about to spread over the entire Roman world. And the, book, the author of the book of Acts, his name is Luke, he's telling us here that this event is not about the prophets that are foretelling of a famine but if the human nature should, should start to reflect the, the values of Jesus in the fourth way that we get in line with what God is doing, the fourth way is when we fall in line with God is when we're generous. That's how we can fall in line with God, when we're very generous. Because a church growth is not just simply measured by the number of people in the building. It's also measured by maturity. And an important sign of maturity is in our faith is when we are quick to give, when we are people that give to others. Because the disciples decided they needed to start providing for Christians living down in Judea. Let me sum it up like this. There's a Gentile church in the north that is helping a Jewish Christian church in the south. A Greek congregation 300 miles away from Jerusalem takes up a relief fund so that Jewish Christians would have food to eat when the famine hits. So here's a question. Are we a church that only cares about ourselves? 
Because having an isolationist mentality is, is far from what a church is supposed to be. We're called to go out and to help others, even if there's times when it seems like we're the ones that are in need. And this is one aspect that I think Cross Point Baptist Church gets very, very right. A church that is very generous, that we are very, a church that is very quick to give, that we're very quick to go and help other churches that are in need. I want to conclude this message by looking back at chapter 11, verse 15, one more time. So this is what's happening. Peter is called to give an account to respond to what happened with Cornelius, to tell the critics what happened. Why did he meet under the same roof of the Gentiles? Look what he says, verse 15. Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could stand in God's way? I want you to really think about what Peter said this morning. Think about the words that came out of Peter's mouth. Because he's listening to God. He knows the Spirit has come upon the Gentiles. And people believed, he says, Who was I that I could stand in the way of God? So ask yourself something this morning. Are you standing in the way of God? Are you being a hindrance to what God is trying to do through, to Cross Point Baptist Church in any way? You know, I prepared this sermon. I had to stop and really ask myself, am I being a hindrance to what God is trying to do through this church? Because if we are, this is what we need to do. We need to repent. We need to fall in line with what God has said. We need to change our mind and get on God's plan. Do you remember there was a the time when Jesus was having a little conversation with, with Peter and he said, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and evil men are going to take me and they're going to beat me and they're going to nail me on the cross. What does Peter say? He said, no way, Lord. That's not going to happen. And then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Peter, excuse me, Jesus tells Peter, hey, you're acting more like a follower of Satan than you're acting a follower of me. It's pretty harsh words, right? Because Peter was actually hindering the kingdom of God. They're very harsh words. They're very true words. So we have to pay attention. Is God redirecting you and me and to bring us into a direction more that He would go with, with His perfect eternal will? We must find out where God is working and that we must be a people that are, that are trying to come alongside God and walk with God. We must do our very best to keep in step with God. We have to correct our steps in times when we have to. And we must look for ways that maybe God is nudging us to go in a different direction. And we must fall in line with His will. One thing the scripture tells us, that is the will of God that all men and women might be saved. Since that is God's will, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. See, there must come a point where you recognize, you have a spiritual awareness that you're a sinner. That I'm a sinner. We're all sinners and our sin, it separates us from God. But yet God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son on a rescue mission to die on the cross for what we have done. He didn't do anything wrong. We're the sinners. He's perfect. And yet the very wrath of God was poured on Jesus, the cross. Why? Because that's what I deserve. And that's what you deserve. The Bible has a beautiful promise. Whoever calls the name of the Lord, they will be saved. 
So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not absolutely certain where you would go should your day come today, I would tell you to do that right now. So usually for most people, it happens in a prayer or something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And the things I've done and my, my deeds and my thought, it has separated me from you. But you love me so much that you came and you died the death that I deserve on the cross. And then you rose again on the third day to, pro- to grant me eternal life. I want to trust in what you have done, Lord. Save me from my sins. And I pray this name of Jesus Christ. Amen.